0: Welcome one and all to the first episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is Trainer Jody. Jody is a DM for the Zelda Universe show Realms of the Wild, as well as his own shows, Kingdom of the Kale Isles, and various parody and charity live streams. I've known Jody for quite a long time, and in today's episode we get to talk about the phenomenon that is Critical Role. Welcome, one and all, to my RPG podcast. Here we are with episode one, and I've brought along a good friend of mine, Trainer Jody. Jody, please introduce yourself.
1: Hello, uh, my name is Trainer Jody. Uh, I do various things on the internet. Uh, probably the thing I do most often is I run, uh, RPGs. I run D&D, I run an open legend game for Zelda Universe, uh, and, uh, I do, uh, parody games. uh, I've organized charity uh, events. Uh, So RPGs are a really huge influence in my life. That's fantastic. All right. So the
0: first episode has a little bit of a premise here. We're going to talk about kind of the mammoth that is all RPG uh, online shows that is critical role. But kind of before we begin there, I'd like to do a little bit of a a kind of background into my guest and then a little primer in. So, Jody, first off, when did you start playing RPGs?
1: Uh, Depending on your definition, uh, I've been playing uh, – I was a huge video gamer when I was a kid, uh, and the first games that I really got into were RPGs across the board. Final Fantasy – Uh, Secret or Mana, Chrono Trigger, you know, all that stuff. Uh, That's what I grew up on. And uh, one of the first RPGs uh, that I ever played was a game called Dark Sun Shattered Lands, which is uh, a computer game version of uh, a D&D campaign setting uh, set in second edition D&D. And I still have the game and it's phenomenal. It's amazing um so that's when i actually started was like when i was like three or four is when i started playing rpgs in general and then as far as like tabletop uh i've been doing it for i want to say five-ish years maybe six now
0: that's fantastic that's actually funny because you're kind of around the time i started my first sessions was around the time you actually started playing and we'll we'll actually mention that now i Started my first ever game over the internet, over, uh, I believe it was Skype at the time, because of Trainer Jody. So this guy's kind of brought me in, into the world of RPGs and D&D. Uh, I,
1: I started uh, playing D&D uh, in tabletop. R- my, my first tabletop RPG was D&D 4th Edition. The reason I started playing it uh, was Acquisitions Incorporated. Uh, I found that, and I thought it was the most amazing, funniest thing in the world. And so the entire reason I started DMing and stuff like that was so I could run a joke campaign that I started writing before I actually knew how to DM and everything. Like I started coming up with ideas uh, and that very first uh, uh, game, I, uh, I I believe, uh, was, uh, uh, was the one with you, Don. Uh, and then I started a... Uh, a second parody campaign called the um d high that went for two uh so yeah i uh, i actually got i got started so that i could pretend to be uh acquisitions incorporated because i knew i would never actually get invited to play with them so
0: hey hey a man can still dream yeah, I mean, dream, yeah. But that's fantastic. <laughs> like, to, 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 to I, I mean, I didn't, you, maybe I forgot, but this is actually surprising for me because I didn't realize that was like your first game, that one that you ran.
1: Uh, it was, that's it, amazing, actually. It was the first streamed game. I had, uh, I had run, uh, my, the first game I ever ran was actually the um, Dragon Age RPG because it was free. Um, they had a, they had a starter set. And I had a board gaming group that went, "Hey guys, do you guys want to maybe try playing an RPG?" Um, so that was the first one uh, I started with, uh, and that was in like January. And I think my first parody game was in April. So I had been I had been DMing for a total of like four months by the time I ran my first parody game. So wow,
0: that's awesome. So now, kind of moving into what our subject is. You can't talk about RPGs in the 21st century without have at least having a some sort of nod to the fact that now kind of Twitch live streaming RPGs has become a big hit. And you can't talk about Twitch or live streaming RPGs without talking about kind of maybe not the first, but definitely the biggest that is critical role. So um, you and I can kind of prime people into what exactly is critical role. You want to start with that, Jody?
1: Sure. Uh, Critical Role is where a bunch of nerdy ass voice actors get together and play Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and let us watch them play it uh, on Twitch. And um, it's uh, currently the most popular uh, regular RPG show on Twitch. Uh, they actually hit. Uh, they were they were getting like thirty thousand concurrent viewers regularly their new season just started up they hit like 92 or 93,000 concurrent viewers for their new season like they are they are phenomenon um and uh, it's getting to the point where you really can't throw a rock uh without hitting a critter somewhere so <laughs> well that's actually
0: uh one of the funniest things cuz you know one of my not the inspiration to play D and D because I I was playing D and D before Critical Role began, but kind of one of the camel straws that broke the camel's back, as they say, is watching Critical Role, watching Matt Mercer and company play, and eventually being a player and being like, you know what, I'll try this D and D thing. And my kind of connection, my story to it all is, it was my first ever San Diego Comic Con. I took a, I took a big chance uh, by going cross country from I'm from the southeast in Atlanta, so going cross country to San Diego. Uh, without uh, any idea of uh, who the people were I was going to meet with. They're all people I met over the internet. We're all great friends now, but still, like I was taking a chance, running into these people to stay with them and to uh, experience San Diego Comic-Con. And one of the things I really wanted to do was check out the Critical Role like, off-site thing that they had. Geek & Sundry had an off-site thing. So I had the opportunity in, uh, to meet and chat a little bit with uh, the majority of the cast some I chatted some I just kind of met hi thank you you're awesome you inspire me all that type of stuff and lo and behold like the day of after doing that I I go kind of back to where we were staying I kind of wanted to mellow out and chill out and one of our friends Adam was like so what'd you do all day and I explained to him you know what RPGs and critical role is and he goes really I never played D&D what's it like and I'm like "Uh, I can't explain it to you and I can't have you watched a three-hour episode. So I happen to have my dice on me because I'm now one of these people who in his bag is always his dice and you know his player's handbook and his DM screen. So uh, I was like, sure, here, take these dice and then roll and I'll explain some things. And then lo and behold, as things start happening, Elias, uh, for, uh, uh, my good friend and our mutual friend, came back from his activities and was like, oh, you guys are playing d and D. I I have on my laptop uh, Jody's from Jody's game, one of my characters, I can join you guys. So he jumps in. And then uh, Kristen and another person jump in a a couple hours later. And then next, you know, it's been three, four hours and like wine and drinks have been had. And like I'm using the bottles and like uh, cup holsters, uh, uh, coasters, sorry, as like map. And I'm like, all right, mind you, I have no any materials. I don't have the Internet with me. We only have one set of dice. Everybody's passing around the dice when they roll. And I'm just completely improv making it up. uh, But... I fell in love with DMing because of watching Matt Mercer and being like, damn, I can do that. I mean, not as well. Of course not. None of us can do that. Uh, I, uh, I aspire to be a low to moderate level DM, but I was still very, very uh, impressed by the, the show. And then they kind of directly influenced me DMing. And now I've been DMing for two and a half plus years. i got three campaigns, as I mentioned on the pilot. So, um yeah, that, that's that's my experience, my connection to him, and I'd watched from like episode one because I was a geek and sundry fan. Were you there with us as well on episode one, Jordy?
1: Oh yeah, I um, I uh, Don and I uh, have known each other uh, at least as long as I've been DMing, if not uh, a heck of a lot longer, um, because we were both uh, not only were we both fans of geek and sundry, uh, but we both were involved in um, the vlogger search way back in like 2012 i think it was um Mm -hmm. and we were we were we were active members of the geek and century forum uh uh and so uh don and i got to know each other and that's one of the reasons i invited them on my first live streamed game which was played on international tabletop day uh the first international tabletop day was my first live stream game uh so that's where i started but um because uh I was such a big Geek and Sundry fan when they announced the Twitch channel. Uh, I I watched uh, a majority of the I think it was 72 hour launch live streamer. It was it was a few days uh, where they rose uh, they raised money for um, lupus research. Uh, I watched the majority of that, and they announced on there that they were going to have an RPG show, uh, and I actually. Didn't know who Matt Mercer was uh, or any of the other cast members, because I wasn't really big into anime at that point. Like, the only anime voice actor I knew was Johnny Young Bosch, and that's because he was a Power Ranger. Um, (laughs) And so I didn't know any of these guys uh, that they were talking about. But I'm like, oh, d d show, even if it sucks, I'm going to watch this because I want more things like this to exist. I was already a huge Acquisitions Incorporated fan. So, yeah, not only was I there on the first day, uh, I was in chat typing and stuff like that and actually got a reprimand from Matt live on the air um, because he, uh, he was doing something... And uh, there was like a rules question or, or something like that somebody made. And so I instantly being uh, due to the fact that I already had a, a really good working knowledge of fifth edition. And Matt had mentioned that he was not as good at fifth edition. I immediately typed in the chat. Oh, this is how it works in fifth edition. I can't even remember what it was, but it was something small. And uh, shortly after I typed that, Matt stopped the game and went okay those of you in chat remember uh this isn't going to we're not going to be playing this like your game at home we're going to do a couple things a little bit differently um and uh while I I sincerely doubt that was directed only at me because I was not the only person saying it uh I do know for a fact that Matt Mercer remembers seeing my name uh, because I've had interactions with him since, and he's mentioned that. Yeah, no, you were there in the, you were there in the first episode, uh, which is a really humbling thing to have someone that you you admire go. Oh yeah, I remember seeing just your username show up in chats. Uh, not even your face or like an interesting encounter or something like that. No, I remember your username in chat.
0: Yeah, you have a fantastic kind of history, a tie back to. Uh... The show, And kind of after the show began, very quickly, I think we all noticed that it started to pick up traction. I I, I don't remember exactly what the view numbers were for the first few episodes. I know it was in the single digit thousands, maybe two to four thousand. Mm -hmm. But seeing week after week, that number go higher and higher and higher. And then hearing all these stories about people being like, oh, hey, you know, I just started because of the show. And I just started because of the show. And kind of the next thing I, I wanted to turn this into is... Let's talk about the impact of the show, because what started simply as one show on a channel with many shows about all sorts of geeky and nerdy things quickly became kind of the flagship for the Consenture channel. And then very soon thereafter became kind of the flagship for D&D in general. And Jody, I want to ask you, because you and I both go to conventions, a lot of conventions now. What do you think the ratio is now of people who started because of Critical Role or at least were inspired to get back into it because of Critical Role? Because for me, it seems like 75 to 80% of people I talk to know of and or came into because of Critical Role or came back into D&D or RPGs because of Critical Role. What about you?
1: Um, I have a bit of a, a unique perspective simply because I live uh, I live in Wisconsin which is where D&D started. Uh, Gary Gygax, uh, the guy who created uh, D&D, actually uh, lived in Lake Geneva, which is in southern Wisconsin, just barely on this side of the border of Illinois. And so Dungeons & Dragons started here. We have a lot of D&D conventions. Uh, When the Adventure League was at its peak, when it had like regional coordinators and local coordinators and stuff like that, uh, one of the admins, uh, actually lives here in Wisconsin, uh, and has like four or five conventions that he helps run. Um, so, um, I have, uh, D and D never saw the decline that it did, uh, across the country. Um, like it, Wisconsin, it's, it's, it's been kind of strong, uh, just because this is where it all started. And, you know, one of the regular brags that I would hear at conventions and stuff like that with some of the older players as well, I played with Gygax. Um, that's, that's one of the things you will hear at conventions in Wisconsin. Um, and so, uh, I don't see quite, uh, the level, uh, the levels of people that are there primarily because of critical role. Um, But even in the mecca of D&D, that is Wisconsin, um, I would say uh, at the conventions that I helped run, uh, uh, or at the convention I helped run and at the conventions that I I ran games at, uh, I don't think I ever ran a game uh, without at least one member of the table being a critter. So... And I've, I've run literally, uh, I have, I have run hundreds and hundreds of convention games now. Uh, just from, again, I, I worked for a convention, um, for three years and then I was a local coordinator. So I I went to a bunch of conventions and all I did was I would go to conventions and run d d So yeah, it is, uh, it is, it is a phenomenon. Uh, and it's, uh, the longer the show has been on the more, the ratio of people that I've seen, not only showing up to conventions, but to like gaming stores and stuff like that going, Oh, I saw critical role and I wanted to, I wanted to maybe try playing. Uh, so yeah, I would say probably not the 75 to 80% that you're seeing, uh, just again, because in Wisconsin, we already had a large population of people that were playing it, but easily I could say, uh, when it first started, uh, anywhere from about twenty-five to fifty percent of the uh, of the new players I was seeing were directly linked to critical role as in they had seen an episode. And then probably another, you know, ten to fifteen percent on top of that were indirectly linked to critical role. Oh, well, a friend of mine saw this show and they like it so much, so I thought I'd try it.
0: Yeah, and I think part of why my number is so high comes from uh, another aspect I wanted to talk about is this kind of new wave of RPG players that are coming out because of D&D or have been renewed by D&Ds uh, and Critical Role in particular kind of rise in the past few years. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you also about this because you have an understanding, especially with your background in Wisconsin, of kind of what the game was like before this uh, kind of Critical Role D&D renaissance happened and what it is like now because one of the biggest takeaways from that show uh, critical role and also you can say the same about uh, you know girls Ghost glory lights camera action role play and all these other shows that are coming around is there's a lot more pushing out towards role playing or kind of the more theatrical side of D&D as opposed to the kind of kick open the door slaughter the monster get all the loot type thing where, which was associated with before and also there's a, been a push for more uh, inclusivity with uh, trying to get more females, minorities, maybe uh, non-conforming gender types to the table and playing characters in the same way too. So have you noticed that as well, Jody, out there?
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely, definitely. Um uh, I I can't remember who it was. It was either Jeremy Crawford or Mike Merles. Uh, it, who, if if you don't know those names, uh, they work for uh, Wizards of the Coast on the Dungeons and Dragons team. Jeremy Crawford uh, is uh, the the rules guy. He writes sage advice, uh, and uh, any uh, any opinion he gives on rules, like people ask him questions on rules, uh, they're considered. Uh, I guess you could call it canon. They're considered official Wizards of the Coast rule and rules and stuff like that. So he's the major rules guy. Mike Merles, I can't remember his official title, uh, but he's also a, a huge, huge name, uh, uh, along with Chris Perkins, which everybody knows because he DMs. Um, they're like the three big guys that's Wizards of the Coast. Um, so either it was either Mike or Jeremy that actually did a uh, a blog post or something about the fact that 5th edition, and one of the reasons that, uh, the reason I'm saying this, one of the reasons we're seeing this huge resurgence and, uh, of D&D in general and of role-playing focused games is because of uh, shows like Critical Role and uh, what, Fifth edition was designed to do uh, was to help people tell great stories. Uh, if you look at the Player's Handbook, if you look at the Dungeon Master's Guide for Fifth Edition, um, it's very, very different from Fourth Edition or, uh, and especially Third Edition, which is where Third Edition is really where the game started becoming less about you know telling cool stories and stuff like that. And more into a very mechanic-based, numbers-based game. It was a combat simulator that you could tell stories around. And uh, Paizo, the guys that publish um, Pathfinder, uh, which is basic, uh, which is based on uh, D D Third Edition, uh, and technically uses the same rule system, uh, just a, a a modified version of it because they release the rules uh, uh, as um, public domain uh certain aspects of the roles i should say um the guys that created pathfinder has said quite bluntly yes pathfinder is a combat simulator uh yeah you can tell cool stories with it i mean that's where critical role started was as a pathfinder game uh but pathfinder is is designed you know the story is just there to get you from battle to battle it's a combat simulator and that's what the whole game is focused on fifth edition was not um Fifth edition was built around the idea of telling stories and, you know, of, of the complete package of role playing games. Um, and then you combine that with critical role where you have professional storytellers, um, otherwise called actors, uh, playing a game that is designed to facilitate storytelling and designed to uh, facilitate uh, just the, the, the whole idea of, um, uh, cooperative, uh, storytelling and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's where I see most of the, uh, the resurgence has been, you, you, you kind of got the, you just had this, um, really good combination of, a uh an rpg rule set that was designed around storytelling while still having you know the combat and stuff in there and it's still being fun the rule set around storytelling and stuff like that and then giving it to a bunch of storytellers uh and then broadcasting it for the world to see um in the post they actually talked about the fact that in third edition um the internet for discussions and stuff like that, there wasn't Twitter and stuff like that. It was done on forums. And when you looked at DD forums and stuff like that, what it was was people would talk about their characters basically by saying, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a Rogue Three, Fighter Four, Wizard Seven. Oh yeah, I'm a blah, blah. Oh, and I can do this and this. And it was very mechanics-based. That's how you talked about d d on the internet. Uh, back in third edition and even fourth edition as well. When fifth edition came out, the discussion changed. People stopped talking about, "Oh, yeah, I'm a seventh level fighter, you know, battle master fighter, you know, all this stuff," and they started talking about, "Oh, yeah, I'm a I'm a human fighter whose background uh, as a soldier helped him to do this." And they would tell the stories of their characters instead of the mechanics of the characters. And, um, that was a, a massive shift in the idea of Dungeons and Dragons, because again, before it was, it was a combat simulator. Not I'm not saying that you couldn't tell good stories in third edition or second edition or anything like that. Um, what I'm saying is the focus of the community was on the mechanical aspects of it. And when fifth edition launched, uh, and then with things like critical role and, um, Acquisitions Incorporated and all these other um, uh, shows where where people could actually watch people play Dungeons and Dragons, um, the narrative shifted. The way that they talked about it shifted. It was no longer, this is the build of my character and these are the cool things I did in combat. It turned to, this is the story of my character and these are the cool story points from my campaign. Um, yeah, and I,
0: and I want to kind of pull back to one of the things you mentioned a little bit earlier about the fact that like, these are master actors and voice actors that are uh, making the show as well. But this isn't the only show with actors or voice actors or talented people who are making the, the, the RPGs. So what is it? uniquely about critical role that makes it stand out from the rest and makes it the thing that exploded because as i mentioned before you know we have acquisitions inc we've had other role playing shows i think nerd poker was a podcast as well before critical role but why did critical role just get, just blow up all of a sudden what do you think
1: uh, uh again it was kind of uh a, 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 an accidental uh, uh what is it called a beautiful mistake uh uh, it was uh, the fact that you had um, you had very, very talented storytellers being given a storytelling-driven system, and Geek and Sundry already had an audience that was about inclusivity. Um, and so when you put all those things together and then you combine that with the fact that Mercer and the whole Critical Role cast were preaching really phone uh we're preaching inclusivity uh sorry that was my phone uh we're preaching inclusivity right from the beginning of the game i think that's what makes critical role stand so far above the other shows that had been going beforehand um and uh, have come up since then like D. They they have their own Twitch channel and they have D D content uh, every day of the week, five days a week. They have D D shows either that they are um, hosting, uh, or that they are uh, they're they're either hosting other channels that are playing D D or they are actively playing D D on the channel itself. Um, and none of them are are quite as popular as Critical Role, simply because of the fact. Again, you you had just these three bits of you know really good storytellers with a storytelling based system and then inclusivity was built into the message of the game that just mixed together in this accidental kind of miracle almost uh and it spread like wildfire um and because they already had this dedicated fan base before the show even started, they had this dedicated fan base in the Geek and Sundry fans. Uh, They, uh, they were able to generate a massive audience because the Geek and Sundry fan base was about inclusivity and was about inviting people to join their world. Whereas the other fan bases were fans of, you know, saving throw or uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones Um
0: You've got role play, you've got saving throw, you've got. Uh, I think Yogg's Cast does one called role play. I think. I, 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 I'm, they're all kind of getting conf- uh, mixed and confused in my mind. There's. Just, uh, like, the, there are so many RPGs now. I, I, I think. It probably was like Steph Woodburn, who I heard this joke from. They're like, Oh, it's an RPG show, you know, like the New Day Boy Bands. Like everybody's yeah, got one. Everyone's
1: got one. Well, and they'd they'd existed for a while, like since Twitch really started, like people were playing D D on Twitch. I know Dodger, uh I guess she's not Dodger Lee anymore. Um uh Dodger, uh, press hard to continue. Um, she's been a guest on Tabletop a couple of times. She uh was a player in a uh Shadowrun game uh, for years before Critical Role started. Uh, she had uh, she had done some other D and D based stuff um, with Adam Koble, who's the uh, DM for the official DM for Roll Twenty, um, a position that I applied for and uh, was not given for some bizarre reason. Um, I did not know this. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, they uh, there's a whole story behind that I'm not going to get into right now, but yeah. Uh, Adam Adam Koble, Koble, uh, I believe that's his name. If I'm mispronouncing it, forgive me. Uh, he's the official uh, DM for uh, Roll Twenty. He runs their official games uh, on their Twitch channel and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so I mean, the, the the games that existed for a long time on Twitch and stuff like that. Again, it was just that that combination of storytellers plus professional storytellers plus good system plus inclusive community that turned it into what it is today. Like if you were missing any one of those three things, Critical Role would not, uh, to be blunt, I'm going to say Critical Role would not exist. Um, It would have floundered, Geek and Sundry would have uh, canceled it, or the cast themselves would have decided just this, this isn't for us because it never uh, would have gone anywhere um if you were missing any one of those three pieces um so i i i think that's the biggest reason why critical role is now at the top of the mountain um and and this is not to say you know not to discredit the massive amount of work that you know geek and sundry has done or that matt and the cast has done and everything like that um but as with you know the entertainment industry in general. Um, a huge aspect of whether or not you make it is based on uh, things that you have no control over. Uh, And I I think that kind of happened with critical role is they just, they captured lightning in in a bottle uh, purely on accident. Uh, And I don't think anyone, I don't think Felicia knew when she first talked to Ashley Johnson about it. I don't think Matt or any of the cast knew that this is what was going to happen uh, I don't think anybody at Geek and Sundry or Legendary or anyone connected with the show thought that it would turn into what it is, or could have planned for it. Even like it is, it has gone so far beyond what the initial thought of it was. Um, and again, I uh, some of that is 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 due to incredible hard work at everything. You can't you can't discredit the amount of work that they put into it uh but some of it was just they got everything right uh and they happened to launch it at a very very uh good time uh in uh and and had a fan base that was was rabid uh with the idea of getting more people into their their community
0: Speaking of getting more people into the community and large fan bases, another thing that's kind of come of uh, the past few years with kind of geek and nerdy things becoming chic and now D&D exploding again is the celebrities that have started coming out and kind of letting their D&D RPG flags fly or who've always been there and now have just gotten credit because we mentioned D&D. We know there was, you know, Vin Diesel. Which was a very very popular multi million view video because the, uh, Vin's apparently been a, a large proponent of D and D and he's been a player for a very very long time and he got to play with Critical Role. We have people like Stephen bear and Anderson Cooper talking about it on national television. Uh, and then on top of that, you have like more and more kind of fantasy content that's coming out, like Blight recently on Netflix, which has like a very toking meets you know Training Day. It's got that high fantasy base into it as well. Yeah. What do you feel, Jody, now, this is just more of a general comment, uh, about being able to come out and uh, seeing all these people start claiming, you know, hey, I'm a big big geek nerd. I'm into RPGs. I've been into the stuff like this and that, you know, how, how, how does that make you feel?
1: Uh, I'm conflicted. Uh, I love the idea that, you know, what used to get me beat up in high school can now get me paying jobs. Um, you know, that's a, that's a really cool thing. um. But uh, I think I don't want to say there's really like a negative aspect to like celebrities and stuff like that coming out and saying, oh yeah, I've been playing, you know, D&D. Like uh, I believe is Mila Kunis uh, mentioned that uh, I, I may be misremembering this, uh, but I believe Mila Kunis came out and said, yeah, I play D&D uh, on some talk show and then obviously Vin Diesel has talked about it and uh, a bunch of other big name actors have started talking yeah I play D&D and have since I was a kid Um, I think the perception around geek culture and stuff like that uh, started off as uh, kind of like around the time that Bing Bang Theory launched Uh, and became really popular, the idea of, you know, geeky things being acceptable uh, started just kind of going all over the country. And now it's become a marketing uh, tool. You know, if you if you can, if you can target the geeks, uh, you know, geeks already, like, again, geeks and nerds, we already uh, uh, are the people that used to spend, you know, hundreds of dollars on, you know, collectible figurines and stuff like that and 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 we we were already hyper focused we were already a hyper focused fandom no matter what whether it was anime or video games or whatever we were we were already a hyper focused fandom uh that had disposable income um and so marketing companies realized that they could capitalize on this and um now it's it's become kind of in the same way that um uh called it's an acting style um uh character acting character uh, uh yeah method acting there we go method okay yes method acting uh is an american acting style that now is a marketing tool used to get uh award nominations um uh the method itself uh is not my preferred style of acting i am a uh, you can i can cons- i can be considered a classically trained actor i went to school for it um uh I learned the method as uh as well as a bunch of other styles of acting uh and method acting has become this incredibly uh incredibly big deal in Hollywood. Uh you can probably off the top of your head name two or three uh famous method actors right now. Um and probably the biggest of them being Leonardo DiCaprio. Is you know, method actor. Jared Leto was praised for his method acting in Suicide Squad. Um, you know, all these things. It's now turned into a marketing pitch, is is what it is. Oh yes, we have method actors in this movie. And the same has has started sort of kind of become true about, you know, geeky things and like D and stuff like that. Oh, yes, I played D D. Marketing, marketing, marketing um so that they can target the geek market because again we are a very we are an under uh we are an under targeted market uh that they now realize uh has a lot of market potential so it's you know again very long-winded answer to your very simple question of i think there's good and bad aspects to it um but part of me is a little bit sad to see it uh and this is this is how everything works in hollywood and the entertainment industry in general and in you know economics in general is as soon as somebody figures out they can make money off of something they will um
0: yes and 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 i and i agree with you there uh, but i will kind of take the other side of this argument i i will say that i i think there's always going to be a bit of uh gatekeeping that's had by anything especially something like uh, a nerdy geeky thing like role playing games which has been kind of poo-pooed upon and there was a whole great satanic scare of decades past and things like that. But uh, I, I will say I will look at the more positive aspect of this and I, anyone coming into this type of thing and being open about it, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And if let's say they're doing it for a marketing aspect or if they're kind of being fake about it just to, I guess, get people's attention or try to swindle them, I think uh, you can sniff that stuff out pretty quickly. You know, when you play with somebody at a table, you know that they're 100% committed and they're into the thing and then you can figure out, see how interested they are into what they're doing. It's it's easy to say something. It's another thing to actually go to a table and play well, it or yeah, to I, commit yourself. <clears throat> yeah.
1: I, I was never trying... So, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry. Had a frog in my throat. Um, his name is, is uh, Colin. It's uh, a,
0: it's a great character development thing. You got <laughs> cursed by a hag.
1: Yeah, it's a whole thing. Um. I was never, uh, uh, I was never attempting to uh, kind of uh, uh, decry the idea of, of new people getting involved or anything like that. It was more the idea that celebrities themselves um, are, are are using D anD D as a marketing tool. Um, the your regular everyday person that's going to show up at conventions and stuff like that—they're uh, not because they can't. Um, Uh, they, they, you know, the fact that they play D and D is, is, is not going to factor into anything. So the people that are actually playing D and D, uh, and can actually come out publicly and say it because of these celebrities and stuff like that, that is fantastic and amazing and wonderful. Like I said, my one caveat is the fact that a lot of these Hollywood people that are coming out as D and D players are doing it as a form of marketing to target a new audience. Um, uh, or at least that's my personal opinion. Do I think, like, 100% of the people in, in Hollywood that are coming out now are doing it simply, you know, to get more fans? No. Um, people like mm. Stephen Colbert and, and Vin Diesel, I think, you know, again, they, they've they been playing for forever. Um, uh, I think they're just happy that they can talk about it openly without having to worry about hurting their brand image. Um, but, uh, I, you know, you, you have to... You have to bring up the fact that it it is it is something that can open you up to a new market. If you if you're in the entertainment industry or or anywhere and you say, hey, I play Dungeons and Dragons or I do this nerdy thing, you have just opened up a brand new market um, simply by association.
0: I also believe that could probably turn people on. I don't know if it's as big of a marketing thing as you say, but that's something we just agree to disagree mm-hmm. with. Uh, yeah. Sorry, agree to disagree, my friend. But um, so away from the celebrity thing now, just from now going smaller to our interpersonal things. What have we taken from? Critical Role from this campaign, Matt Mercer and their stuff, and what have we contributed to it as well? Because the Critters, you know, the name for the uh, people who follow Critical Role, Critters, uh, are a fantastically talented and and very uh, inspired community. Who are all either starting their own games or creating art, or uh, you know, taking uh, Matt Mercer released a uh, companion guide to one of his continents, Haldori So they're now taking his stuff and then playing in that world as well. So personally, between you and I, what have we taken
1: from Mister Mercer and company? I think I I I think the biggest effect that Critical Role has had has been. The idea that your gaming table can be a surrogate family, which is a a a really um, the word I want to use is intoxicating, uh, which isn't the exact right word, but it kind of fits. Uh, it's it's a, it's 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 a really um, uh, interesting thing. Uh, because we we watch critical role and we see that these people are not just you know actors doing something these people are you know that that is their closest group of friends um hands down uh and you can see it in the way that they interact you can see it in the way that they interact on camera and off camera and you know all these things like that. that is they are family and uh I think that's been the biggest uh, impact is this idea that your 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 gaming table can be a family. Your your gaming table can be as close as blood, uh, for you, and um, and we're seeing it over and over and over again with people starting up uh, games in, you know, Taldore, uh, with people that started playing D and D because of Critical Role um for two years uh i ran a 48 hour dnd live stream for extra life uh because of critical role like i, I started doing it for critical role we would raised over the two years we raised over seven thousand dollars for extra life um and uh there were games that started because of that simply because critters got involved geek and sundry is nice enough to you know broadcast the uh uh, the announcement videos I made about the 48-hour live stream during Critical Role, um, and uh, yeah, you're 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 seeing it over and over again everywhere that people are forming these really really close, almost familial bonds with the people that they play these games with.
0: Yeah, and for me, I think it comes down to – I think Critical Role has informed uh, a lot of the ways I roleplay. I think I'm more of the friend than the adversarial DM because of kind of how Matt Merson rolls who wants to enable. I think, uh, I think the DM or GM should always serve the party, should serve the campaign. Uh, I I don't I, I I don't think that uh this is something that's unique to Matt Mercer. I'm sure he's not the first person in the world to have this perspective. But kind of being the figurehead that he is now for this new wave of D and D, he's kind of taught a lot of DMs to kind of open up, uh maybe not being so strict to the rules and kind of open up to allowing players to kind of rule of cool it or let the story being the driver and things like that so I think that's one of the things I've taken from this game is kind of that perspective as well I've also been really really uh, excited to see the 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 sort of diversity that they have it's not you know it it, it was when it started uh, there was I think uh, Ryan Acaba who I think was like Puerto Rican background you had three girls on there you had Laura you had Marisha and you had Ashley um, so that in and of itself was uh, a a kind of a change up from the stereotypical view of what dungeons and dragons and, and rolling playing games were like, so I was so happy to see that and that 's something I actually pushed for in a lot of my my games i i'm blessed to have had a Sunday game with three girls and one guy yeah and i'm pretty <laughs> which is you know not many people can say that and i've had you know multiple females in my other games and things like that and I have diversity of race and I have diversity of uh uh sexual preferences and things like that as well. I'm so happy to have that. And I think Critical World was a great beacon and a bastion for those things. And I think one of the, the small things, but I think it's 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 big when you talk about the grand scheme of RPGs. I think for the rest of uh known humanity, as long as we keep playing RPGs, I think the phrase, how do you want to do this is going to become a staple of running games.
1: Well and the phrase, how do you want to do this really encapsulates exactly what you just said. Um, as, as, as crazy as it sounds, um, because it's, it literally is the DM giving control of the game over to the player to narrate and DM for, you know, 10 to 15 seconds. They get, they get absolute control over the story for a little bit so that their character can feel really cool as a reward for doing something um and uh yeah it's it's again it's it's become a rallying cry for the critters themselves uh people that don't watch critical role uh are hearing how do you want to do this just because so many other people have adopted it because it is such a a useful tool for building that trust between the gm uh and the player which is intrinsic to a good uh, role-playing experience. You know, players should trust you, you should trust your players, and there should be a give-and-take relationship. Um, I'm not saying that's how all games work. There are some people that really thrive on the idea of the DM's job is to kill the players, and the player's job is to break whatever plans the DM have. Uh, But I think those are a very small minority uh, in the role-playing community in general, and have been since you know Gygax first made uh, you know chainmail back in the seventies. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I I really do think that that's what um or, or I I guess I I I strongly agree with you with the idea of you know critical role giving people uh, the idea of you know, story over mechanics and, and and player empowerment and stuff like that. And I think it really is encapsulated in the, the phrase, how do you want to do this?
0: Yeah, and this is kind of the, the end here, but I kind of wanted to bring it up. We've talked about a lot about kind of the bigger... Effective Critical Role and what it's done and the things it's been through. Now we're going to get into the minutiae here. They finished, as of this recording, they finished the first campaign. All of it's available for you to listen in podcast form as well as video form on the internet. They've just started a brand new campaign. We've, we're recording this right after episode one. So we're being we're trying to be spoiler free to campaign one, campaign two, episode one. Just, you know, some general ideas. What do you like? What are you excited about? What characters are interesting to you? And just give me some of that stuff uh, b- before we end our podcast here. What are you thinking, Jody? What are you liking so far uh, about the new
1: campaign? Yep. Um. Without getting into specifics, uh, because I believe uh, to be blunt, the best thing about the new campaign is uh, that it's live. Um, you know that it's that it's not, that it's happening now, um, and we've been waiting for it for three months. Um, and the best introduction to it is to watch the first episode. Like the first episode was so well done as far as, uh, I mean, it, uh, you could use it as a master class into how to start a campaign, how to introduce characters, how to give them a motivation to actually work together, despite the fact that in universe, the characters don't know each other or, or not all of them will know each other. Um, it was it was brilliantly done. Um, the uh, again, without going into specifics, the way that the characters were very gradually introduced uh, and then were given a reason to work together that didn't feel forced. Um, I mean the 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 classic uh, the classic trope is, well, you're all in a tavern, and you're here because somebody posted a message looking for adventurers. Um, that's That started so many D&D games, and technically, the first episode uh, started in a tavern.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a very tongue-in-cheek thing of Mercer to do, because he's very—I've seen him talk about his DM tips and tricks and talks about like trying to break that starting in the tavern thing but here he does acknowledging the the trope itself acknowledging the history of D&D itself on his first uh, official uh campaign session of this new campaign is by even going like here's the tavern there's the notice board here's all those tropes you come to expect and see as as it's a clever nod i like it from a storytelling standpoint
1: and uh a- a- again uh as much as he he does you know give that little nod that little easter egg um he takes it in such a different direction uh and uh he he so masterfully weaves in real character motivations and 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 story points uh as opposed to just kind of shoehorning the group together or shoehorning the group together wow that could be completely misconstrued um and uh you know, waiting for the story to eventually happen. Uh, this, this campaign has started off with uh, a very compelling narrative um, by design. Like you, uh, I, I, I don't think anyone could argue that Mercer did not intentionally put the knot into, you know, we're starting in a tavern. There's the adventuring board, stuff like that. Like he intentionally put those in and then intentionally moved away from them and put a very creative twist on how we got the party together. And, um, I think that is, uh, it's, it's a hallmark of Matt Mercer, I think, um, from the the little bit of interaction I've had with him and just the, the myriad of examples of him running games and stuff like that, uh, that fits into his DMing style perfectly. Like he is very much the person that will take a trope and then just kind of twist it or, you know, started as a uh, started at a base point and then create off of it something very very unique um and yeah the new campaign is a perfect example of that and all the new characters again um are really really good examples of uh pre- creative ways to build uh staples cuz they they do have some very very staple characters in there and again i'm not going to get into specifics um but they they have some very traditional D characters one in particular that is so unique and so different from kind of the established version of that character class um while still while still keeping within the class itself. Uh and I love that about the new campaign. I really think we're going to see over and over and over again uh them having nods and references to classic D&D and stuff like that because again, Matt has been playing since you know, he was a kid way back in I think he started in first edition. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see these nods, but you're going to uh, you're going to watch these nods turn into really unique character choices and and very, very unique interpretations of them purposefully like these uh, as actors in general, we are uh, starved creatively. That's why we we become actors. We are, you know, we, we live off creativity Um, and uh, we're always looking for new interpretations and, and, and new things that will fill our, our creative appetite. And so, yeah, I can, I can definitely see the new campaign Uh, really being a a, a great example of phenomenal storytelling, interesting ways to look at things that you've never looked at them that way
0: before. Yeah, and for me, i have to say the things that excite me the most about this new campaign are just the unknown. Uh, uh, Coming into the first campaign, you had this feeling of definitely like, yes, there's things I don't understand, but you also feel a little bit left out because there was this whole two years that they played beforehand, that you didn't know about that they were playing off of. There was this whole uh, character introductions, which gave you all this black backstory. Like you just were so front loaded with like, here's everything you need to know before this begins that, you know, once they launch into crack which is episode one of uh, campaign one, you, you, you feel already a little bit lost. Like you just came into a story in the middle of the story. Whereas now we are on a complete new continent and we have a new uh, party that is just getting to know each other the same way we're getting to know them. And if you're a a previous fan, obviously you're starved for new content anyway. You're going to love it. But if you're just wanting to get into Critical Role, hell, I will make the debate – I'll make the stand – that you should probably start with campaign two, see if you like it, and then if it's something you like, then maybe tell the person, well, you can go back and watch campaign one now if you want really a bunch of content and very meaty uh, stories and emotions and things like that.
1: I would even go farther as to say, if you are interested in d start with campaign two, episode one, because again, it's it's a beautiful masterclass of... Um, this is what a beginning campaign uh can be and uh i know there will there will be people that'll be like well no you know don't set your expectations for your campaigns to be critical role because they're not going to be i i disagree with that statement entirely i think uh as much as yes they are professional storytellers um and because of that, they they have a leg up on just your average everyday person. I think if if you want a critical role kind of campaign, uh, especially one that, that feels kind of like uh uh campaign two, uh you can. And uh, if you want if you want to see D at its best, start with campaign two. Um, because it it really is a phenomenal introduction to D D. It's a phenomenal introduction to role-playing in general, uh, and it's a phenomenal introduction to storytelling and creative, co- uh, collaborative storytelling.
0: Yep, and uh, I guess we'll just finish it off with uh, any last words you want to say, Jody, any uh, things you want to pimp out and promote? Because I know you're a very busy man on the internet, especially in the world of RPGs, so uh, why don't you tell everyone listening to how they can get into contact with you or watch some of the stuff you create.
1: Um if you ever have questions, comments, concerns, or anything like that, uh, Twitter is the absolute best place to find me. I'm at trainer Jody there. Um, I'm, I'm trainer Jody everywhere. Um, but Twitter, uh, my DMS are open. So, uh, if you ever have a question that you want answered, uh, I am more than happy to wax poetic about D and D for hours upon hours, as Don will tell you. Um, so, uh, That's the best place if you want to contact me, and that's also where I I generally tend to announce most of the stuff that I do as well. Um, If you want to see actual role-playing, Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock, I run two different campaigns on alternating weeks. One's called The Kingdom of the Kale Isles, which is a custom uh, campaign that is reaching the end of their first uh, story arc uh, within the next couple uh, of sessions here and then uh not this wednesday but next wednesday i will be starting a brand new campaign called the legend of the uh, um which is set kind of in a similar way to campaign two of critical role it's set <clears throat> on the same world in the same universe uh but on a different continent um as my other campaign and like i said those run basically every other week uh and then um, uh, every other Saturday on uh, the Zelda Universe Twitch channel, uh, twitch.tv slash Zelda Universe, um, you can see me run an Open Legend game set in the world of, in a, a customized version of the world of Breath of the Wild um, with a phenomenal cast, um, including uh, Don, was uh, was our first guest star on the show. Uh, and he did a, he did a, great great job um so uh yeah those are those are where you can find me twitch.tv slash trader jody is my personal channel uh and again wednesday nights are my D nights and then every other saturday on zelda universe slash zelda universe and then again twitter
0: yeah and you should definitely check out uh the zelda rpg show that he's running over there at zelda universe i think it's really fantastic and it's a different system actually than D D. it's uh, open legend which is really really cool as well And for anybody, obviously, who's listening, who wants to contact me, my Twitter is at classy underscore Don. Uh, Give me a shout, any questions or concerns over there. And uh, thank you very much for listening to my RPG podcast, and I'll see you at the table.